Hey ladies, welcome to the Losing Fat on Plants podcast. So happy to have you join me. My name is Jennifer and I'm a certified fat loss nutrition coach. I created this podcast for the menopausal woman who's maintaining a fully or partly plant-based diet, but is still struggling like I once did to lose fat because of cycling sugar binges. Menopausal weight gain is for real, and it's more than just calories in, calories out. Hormones, stress, and lifestyle are factors that can affect our appetite and complicate how we feel and behave around food, especially during our midlife. Come on, sister, you know exactly what I'm talking about. If your appetite has increased, you're craving foods high in sugar, and you can't stop overeating, then you're in the right place. Lady friend, don't spend precious time feeling miserable about how you look and your weight. Instead, join me each week as I share evidence-based strategies to help you manage your sweet tooth on a plant-based diet while keeping it real. You don't have to give up your favorite desserts. Let me show you how you can enjoy sweets guilt-free while on your journey towards losing fat on plants. Hope to see you there. Take care. Hey ladies, welcome back to Losing Fat on Plants. This is episode number nine and it is having a sweet tooth a bad thing and there's no mistake this episode does in fact have the same title as the last episode because it's part 2 as i mentioned last week sugar is a very large topic and we can talk about it forever there are various aspects about how sugar impacts our health and our fat loss goals. So there's much to be said and I'll have many more topics to come, hopefully. But in these two episodes, number eight and number nine, I concentrate mainly on how sugar affects our bodies and leads us to overeat and what we can do about it. Specifically in episode eight, I talked about what it means to have a sweet tooth. I talked about sugar and its impact on our brain, having similar addictive effects as drugs on our hormones. And I talked about how much sugar is too much, giving examples of just a few common food products and their sugar content compared to the daily limit of sugar recommended by the World Health Organization. And in this episode, I'm going to talk about how refined sugar works against our fat loss goals. I'm going to talk about if we can satisfy our sweet tooth with foods other than refined sugar, and how do we build our meal plans to accommodate our sweet tooth without impacting our fat loss goals. I'm also going to answer the question whether or not having a sweet tooth is actually a bad thing. So let's first talk about how refined sugar works against our fat loss goals. If you recall in episode eight, I discussed that there is an important distinction between natural and processed sugars, and that that distinction has really nothing to do with whether one is healthier or not. Sugar is sugar, regardless if it's natural or refined. 
both types contain glucose, fructose, and sucrose, but due to their chemical structure, they differ in the way that they're digested and absorbed. Natural sugars can be found in fruit, vegetables, whole grains, and also in dairy products. And processed sugars are made by extracting the sugar from sugarcane or beet plants until nothing is left, no fiber or water, nothing except for the sugar crystals. There are also sugar substitutes. These types of sugars are used mainly in place of sugar to keep the calorie intake low or to minimize the effect on blood sugar levels, which is important mainly for those who have diabetes. But I'll leave these uh, types of sugars for another episode. The point about digestion and absorption is the most relevant for you as a menopausal woman because it helps you determine what carbs are the most optimal for fat loss versus which foods work against your goals depending on how quickly the carbs digest and spike the blood sugar level, especially for those with a sweet tooth. Carbs made up of mostly refined grains and sugars digest very quickly, spiking the blood sugar level stimulating the release of insulin and then dropping the blood sugar, leaving you tired and hungry. You're more likely to continue eating to satisfy your appetite because the blood sugar is low. Carbs made up of mostly whole grains, vegetables, and fruit contain fiber, which requires for your body to first break down the cells of the fiber before the sugar is released. This causes the sugar to absorb into the blood slower than foods without fiber. Even though the sugar raises the blood sugar level, it occurs much slower than refined carbs and enables you to feel fuller, longer, and prevents overconsumption. Calories in glucose, fructose, and sucrose are the same in natural sugar compared to refined sugar, one to one. So every gram of sugar equals four calories, whether it's in foods with natural sugars or processed foods with refined sugars. But the metabolic effects are completely different so that the four calories of the natural sugars go much further than the four calories of the refined sugars. Whole grains, whole vegetables, and whole fruits slow the blood sugar absorption in the blood and prevent overeating, while processed carbs with refined sugars absorb quickly in the blood and drive you to overeat and the calories start to add up. So for the menopausal woman with a sweet tooth, it's important to know whether carbs are fast digesting carbs or if they're slow digesting carbs to determine whether a carb will absorb quickly into the blood or whether it will absorb slower and keep you feeling fuller longer. If you want to determine whether a carb is slow or fast digesting, you can simply check to see what the glycemic index or the GI is. The glycemic index rates foods on a scale from zero to 100 based on how quickly your blood sugar level rises after consumption. 
So those foods that are 55 or less have a low GI and foods between 56 and 69 have a medium GI. Foods greater than 70 have a high GI and having a constant high blood sugar level is not just a trigger for sugar cravings, but also can lead to insulin resistance, which prevents your body from moving the sugar into the cells where it is used or stored, both of which are neither healthy nor helpful for fat loss. When you're craving something sweet, grabbing a processed chocolate bar or any dessert with mostly refined carbs can work against you. Even if you think you'll just take a quick bite or a little taste, the amount of sugar you consume could still trigger you to want more. Based on the effects we discussed in the last episode, dopamine will be triggered by the sugar. It, your brain remembers that sugar was pleasurable and you all of a sudden become highly motivated to get as much as you can. So just by eating a little bit, you can trigger a hormonal chain reaction that can drive you to eat more of it. Some diet programs encourage um, clients or, or women trying to lose weight to eat everything they desire, but to limit their portions or stop when they've had enough justifying that restriction may trigger their clients to binge, but allowing clients to eat everything without a plan can cause them to unintentionally eat more than they scheduled because they don't know how to manage their cravings once they're triggered. Clients are left confused and frustrated that they're not able to control their sweet tooth after they've indulged and they feel basically like failures because they eat way more than they plan to and they're not able to limit their portions and don't know why or how to stop. So they end up forcing themselves to restrict foods in order to lose the fat. This is an all or nothing behavior, which follows a pattern of either fully restricting food that you want to avoid in order to lose fat with the hopes that you'll reduce your calorie intake or you eat everything, including refined sugar, but without in any reasonable limitations, and you end up eating completely off plan. And once you overstep your boundaries, you simply give up and continue to eat everything in sight, justifying that you anyway already messed up. So you might as well continue to eat as much as you want. And then you say, you'll just start a new eating plan again tomorrow. These are extreme behavior skills and they do not serve us. They only set us up for failure. But you may wonder if you ultimately have to give up sugar completely in order to lose fat to avoid getting triggered, if it's worth it. No, it's it's not at all. This is the all or nothing mentality. So we should definitely stay away from that. Think of reducing refined foods like refined sugar and increasing whole foods like whole fruits, vegetables, and whole grains that have natural sugars as if 
they're on a sliding scale. So you don't pressure yourself into eliminating all the foods you enjoy. Otherwise, it won't be sustainable. So we should start where we are and improve each day or each week or each month by adding more and more whole fruits and vegetables while reducing those refined foods as much as is doable so that we remain consistent. So if you're craving something sweet, a piece of fruit is a much better choice than a processed chocolate bar or even a can of soda. But it's not always easy to grab an apple or an orange because when we crave something sweet, our minds turn straight to the highest high or the greatest pleasure, and it's mostly processed food. Those treats that hit that sweet spot the most intensely. So we gravitate towards whatever we have in the house that hits that spot the best. And if sugar is laying around, then that's what we most likely will end up eating, not the apple. And once you get started, it's very difficult to stop. And this uncontrollable spiral begins. So if there's chocolate, cookies, or ice cream in the house, we're setting ourselves up for failure unless we have a plan. Abstaining from eating the trigger foods is possible. And by trigger foods, I mean those sweets or processed foods that are highly palatable. They hit the pleasure spot and they drive us to eat more and more. Now, we can have trigger foods in the house and not eat them for a period of time. Maybe we convince ourselves that we shouldn't eat them and we actually obey ourselves. Or um, maybe we had a recent binge and we're completely disgusted for a moment and physically can't bring ourselves to eat that particular trigger food that we overdosed on. Whatever the reason, it is possible to not reach for the trigger food for a time, whether that's hours, days, weeks, or even months, it is possible to not plummet into a binge cycle and get off track. But if you continue to leave trigger foods around, whether they're hidden in a drawer, in the back of the cabinet or pantry, or they're locked up in a safe, experience shows that you will eventually eat that trigger food when prompted by a specific cue. And that cue could be anything. You know, it might be a bad day, stress, a fight that you've had with your friend or your husband or colleague. You may receive bad news that you didn't get that job that you interviewed for or you lost your job. You might even feel bad about yourself because you've been comparing yourself to others who you think may look better or have a better body. Or it might even be due to a joyous occasion. Maybe you want to celebrate. You have good news. Maybe you got the job that you interviewed for or you're happy about how things are going in your personal life. Whatever the reason, once that cue is triggered, you remember those yummy Oreo cookies that are stashed away somewhere in the house and you will fish them out wherever they may be and indulge. If this is you and you know it's you, then 
you have to have a plan for sweets. You can't eat sweets without a plan. Otherwise, you can trigger yourself into a sugar cycle. And you know the one I'm talking about, right? Where it takes you days or, or months, literally months to get back out of it. It starts off innocently, maybe an unplanned treat here or there, where you have more than you intended. And it's as if you've overstepped your resistance threshold. And once you're over the hump of your resistance threshold, you slide into uncontrolled eating. Sometimes consciously and sometimes unconsciously. For example, right around the holiday season, starting around Thanksgiving, I start to bake a lot, whether it's dessert for a festive dinner, Christmas cookies to have around for the Christmas season. There is constantly sugar around for about two months straight. By the time the new year rolls around, I've eaten a pretty good amount of sugar. And I realize at some point that I even start to plan my meals with it. Every year it's the same. I don't notice it at first. Even though the Christmas cookies are gone, there's no more chocolate laying around or sweet eggnog to quote unquote trigger me. I somehow convince myself that I need to have pancakes, for example, for breakfast one day. And then the pancakes on that one day leads to having cinnamon rolls for dessert on Sunday night. Then there are cinnamon rolls that are left over on Monday. And after my lunch break, I decide, ooh, a cinnamon roll might be pretty good for dessert. So I have the cinnamon roll for dessert. After all, I need to get rid of the dessert that's left over to make sure that it's not distracting me during the week. So then, because I came up with this idea that I need to eat it so it doesn't distract me during the week, then maybe I have another one to get rid of them sooner. And then I leave just one or two for my husband and my daughter out of guilt because I had three out of the five that were left over. Then because the cinnamon rolls were so intense, they were so good, my dinner that I had planned doesn't sound so appealing anymore because I only have potatoes, lentils, and tofu in my stew, and they're not enough to tickle my pleasure spot since I've been eating highly palatable foods. So I started to think about a meal that would, like pizza or tortellini filled with a sweet and savory filling, and make the decision in my head to pick that up for dinner. But beforehand, since there aren't enough cinnamon rolls left over for me to eat, because the others are left for my husband and daughter, I'll decide to have a little something sweet. So I start rummaging in the kitchen and I see, okay, what's the less, uh, the, the least of all evils, right? So I'll get toast with vegan butter and raspberry jam and cream cheese. So it sort of tastes a little bit like the cinnamon roll with the cream cheese icing. (laughs) 
because I need to satisfy my craving that's been triggered by the cinnamon rolls. And then when I go to the store to pick up the pizza or the tortellini or whatever highly palatable processed carbs I can get my hands on, I decide to buy a small dessert for later to hold me over since all the cinnamon rolls will be gone since my husband and daughter will have eaten them. And after dinner, I decide to heighten the dessert experience by eating it during one of my favorite series on Netflix. And while watching Netflix, I realize the dessert is all gone and I need more treats to snack on while binge watching whatever series I'm currently watching at the time. And this goes on and on, starting from baking that first dessert for Thanksgiving or that first batch of Christmas cookies. And of course, you can imagine how that disrupts my weight management. It pushes me like five kilos or um, 10 pounds over my happy weight. I need weeks or months before I can break the habits and routines that keep me hooked on the sugar. And I have to build new ones that will keep me consistent with better food choices. That's why I need to plan for treats or build a meal plan that accommodates my sweet tooth so that I can protect myself from unintentionally sliding into a sugar cycle. And also, and more importantly, maybe, I don't want to feel restricted or feel as though I'm denying myself and that fat loss is too hard and therefore not worth it, simply because I can't have treats. Because for me, if it's not enjoyable, it's not worth it and definitely not sustainable. To the second point, whether we can satisfy our sweet tooth without refined sugar is very important because if refined sugar triggers you, works against your fat loss goals, and can lead to chronic disease, you'll want to try to satisfy your sweet tooth mostly with foods other than refined sugar. And that doesn't mean that you have to give sugar up completely. You just need to plan how often and how much you can have without bringing yourself into a binging cycle. I mentioned previously that you can grab fruit when you're having a craving, but we mostly don't do this because the sweetness is not as high as sugar. If you've gone days without refined sugar, a piece of fruit is satisfying, right? Especially when you start eating mostly whole foods in place of processed ingredients, you'll be able to appreciate the natural sweet taste of an apple or an orange. There's also no guilt feeling and you ultimately feel much better physically. So increasing whole foods in your diet and replacing desserts that have refined sugar with desserts that have whole food sweeteners can help you to satisfy your sweet tooth without triggering you as much. If you want a more indulging treat, you're hard pressed to find a decent dessert in the grocery store that doesn't have a lot of additives that can trigger you. But preparing your own desserts enables you to manage the ingredients that will best satisfy your sweet tooth and have less of a triggering effect on your cravings. There are whole food sweeteners that actually taste just as sweet as refined sugar, like honey if you permit this in your diet, or dried fruit that can be made into a homemade syrup or paste like 
date paste, for example, or maple syrup, or even fresh fruit like bananas, or even berries, depending on the season, they can be pretty sweet. And these can be used to sweeten your desserts, but also savory food. These whole food sweeteners do raise the blood sugar level, but they absorb slower into our blood than refined sugar and keep your blood sugar stable much longer, especially when made with protein and starchy vegetables that have a lot of fiber, like beans, which can help to stabilize the blood sugar and help you feel fuller longer, unlike desserts with refined sugar, which drive you to eat more. If you like your savory foods sweeter than adding starchy foods that have more natural sugar than non-starchy vegetables can help boost the taste, such as sweet potatoes, corn, green peas, beets, squash, pumpkin, or chickpeas, for example. Because some starchy vegetables are high in natural sugars and they and they can spike your blood sugar when they're eaten alone. They should be limited then to a half or a quarter of your plate or eaten with a lot of fiber in order to slow the absorption of the sugar into your blood. Remember we talked about in believe believe it was the third episode where um we talked about building a plate, the healthiest plate that supports your fat loss goals. And we talked about having half of your plate with starchy vegetables and the other half with non-starchy vegetables. And that being helpful for your fat loss goals because the non-starchy vegetables are low in calories. And with this composition, you can create a negative energy balance. So maintaining a plate with one half um, of your plate with um, starchy vegetables and one half with non-starchy vegetables or a quarter of your plate um, with starchy vegetables and a quarter with a lot of fiber, you're able to slow the absorption of the sugar in the blood. Otherwise, eat mostly starchy vegetables that contain resistant starch, which is not digested in the small intestine, and therefore it does not absorb quicker, and it doesn't spike your blood sugar levels. Sources of resistant starch are beans or peas and legumes like lentils, Maintaining a plate with a half, half of it being non-starchy vegetables and half being starchy vegetables and with a lot of fiber will not only satisfy your sweet tooth, but also support your fat loss goals as I discussed in, in episode three. So to the third point, how do we build our meal plans to accommodate our sweet tooth without impacting our fat loss goals? While knowing that the daily recommended sugar intake by the World Health Organization is no more than 60 teaspoons or 25 grams of sugar, which is comparable to about two tablespoons of maple syrup, 
it will be a good strategy then to plan your meals to try to stay within these boundaries. That way you reduce your chances of spiraling into a sugar cycle. You keep your fat loss goals in check and you reduce your risk for chronic diseases. But again, remember, you don't have to give up sugar or sweets completely. Ideally, our diet should be low in sugar and high in fiber. Your meals should consist primarily of fruits, vegetables, and whole grains. You should reduce processed or prepackaged foods with added sugar and reduce the sugar you add to, to your food yourself, like, you know, even including, um, what you might add to tea or to coffee. Um, this helps if you also want to limit what you eat in terms of desserts, like trying to maybe designate one or two days a week. And in addition, prepare your desserts yourself so that you can replace the refined sugar with, with better options that you choose. Instead of having, um, you know, refined sugar, refined flour, you can replace it with whole grain flour or even with, with beans, you know, like there are black bean brownies or chickpea blondie bars, for example. Also, increasing your water intake and reducing sugary beverages reduces the sugar in your diet while supplying your body with the water it needs, and it helps to reduce your appetite and your cravings. So think of your meals always on a sliding scale basis I mentioned. Don't pressure yourself with eliminating sugar or sweets completely unless you're able to do so sustainably and freely. Instead, Think of reducing any trigger foods and increasing whole foods that support your fat loss and your health. In my fat loss program, I go into more details and step-by-step action that one can take to build a meal plan to increase whole foods and reduce processed or refined foods. You don't need to figure it out on your own if you need help. You can simply join the free Herschel Fit Fat Loss Program and get the answers you're looking for. And I'll leave my website address in the description notes. And finally, is having a sweet tooth a bad thing? No, absolutely not. As long as as you are aware of the risks of too much sugar and you limit your sugar intake according to the World Health Organization recommendation of no more than six teaspoons a day, eating more than these six teaspoons can cause you health problems and work against your fat loss goals. As discussed in the third and fourth episodes, the healthiest meals are those that are the least processed and contain the most vitamins and nutrients, which include plenty of non-starchy vegetables as well as starchy vegetables and fiber that keep you fuller longer with slow digesting foods that help to stabilize your blood sugar. 
Don't get caught up with how others may judge your sweet tooth or shame you because of what you like to eat. Acknowledge your sweet tooth and plan for it so that you allow yourself to indulge so that your meals are enjoyable and sustainable, particularly with desserts that you prepare yourself with more whole food sweeteners and less refined sugar. Concentrate on nourishing yourself with nutritious foods that support your health and your fat loss and build routines that help make that happen consistently so that you don't fall prey to bad food choices. That's the end of this episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already so that you can get notified each time an episode drops. And please write a review if you can. That would mean so much. And if you could recommend this podcast to a friend, that would be great so that I can reach as many menopausal women with a sweet tooth as possible who are searching for answers to lose fat on plants. Looking forward to talking to you next week. Stay healthy and blessed. And remember, if you have a sweet tooth, guilt-free always tastes and feels better. Take care.